Good morning and welcome to Church of the Palms. My name is Judy Rada and I serve as a shepherding deacon and a Stephen minister in our congregation. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us bow our heads and prepare for worship. Precious Lord, take us by the hand and lead us by our worship into a deeper sense of your presence. We pray for an exchange of your love for our loneliness, an exchange of your assurance for our fears, an exchange of your strength for our weakness. Please grant these exchanges through the redemptive power of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Now as we worship together, may our hearts receive his Holy Spirit, our ears listen to his word, and our voices be raised in praise to the glory of God. Thank you.
The Gospel according to John chapter 4, verse 24, tells us that God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. Come, let us worship God. We like to think that the good in us outweighs the bad, and that's what will get us into heaven. The truth is, we are all sinners separated from God, and there is no way we can fix ourselves. God loves us so much that he took the initiative for us and sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to save us. Jesus lived a sinless life, taught us how to live, died on the cross to pay for our sins and restore our relationship with God, then rose again and assured us that our sins are forgiven and we will have eternal life if we believe in him. That is salvation and we cannot earn it. It is pure grace, a gift from God. With grateful hearts for what our loving Father has done for us, let us bow before him now and confess our sins together. Let us pray. Before we can even confess to you, O oh God, we must admit that we don't like to do this. 
Our pride makes it difficult for us to voice our failures. Our certainty that we are better than they causes us to forget that our standard of measurement is not other people, but our Lord Jesus. Help us to break down our resistance and to call for your loving help and mercy. May we abandon our false bravado and reach out to the rock that is higher than we are and clasp the outstretched hand of him who stilled the waters. Forgive and heal us, O God, in the mighty name of our Savior. Amen. The Bible tells us that if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I declare to you in the name of Jesus Christ that you are forgiven, cleansed, and ready for a new beginning. Friends, believe the good news of the gospel. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. the globe and down through the ages, let us state what we believe using the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And now let us turn and greet our neighbors, showing the love of Christ.
Good morning. Welcome to worship at Church of the Palms in the sanctuary and on television. Today is a good day. It is the day that the Lord has made. And I have a wonderful guest preacher that I would like to introduce to all of you, <laughs> since most of you don't know him, uh, Dr. Bruce Porter. Return. <laughs> Returning to the crime scene. And I am very happy I get to be the one who introduced him. I didn't know Dr. Porter was a sixth generation Presbyterian minister. Did you all know that? And that's amazing. Looking forward to your message um, to us, Bruce. And we also have other announcements. We have our summer palm planners are out there by the door to pick up that contains events and classes and offerings of the church during this summer. We also um, have Day of Hope coming up. Thank you very much for clogging up the entire office space in the um, office building with your donations and kind heartedness. And please keep doing that. It's our fourth annual event and the Day of Hope is going to be July 25th. And your prayers and support is very greatly appreciated until the day comes. And the uh, details of that is on page 17 of the bulletin. Please sign in in the friendship pads on the ends of the pews and pass them along so we may greet one another by name the end of the service. The church is online. If you are one of those people who like to um, check online about things when you cannot sleep or in the middle of the afternoon, the church is online and www.churchofthepalms.org. Check out, check out what kind of things that you are a part of. Let's see. Now I would like to invite the Stephen Ministers class of 2015 to come up to and line up in front of the communion table. You all have a Stephen ministry since 1988. It's a wonderful Christian caring, one-to-one -one Christian caring. It was started by Paul Marser, and you all know who he was. Uh, please come stand here behind me facing the congregation. And um, every year we have a few Stephen ministers added to the community of Stephen ministers. They care for anyone who needs um, caring in a precise Christian way. They have been trained for 50 hours, and uh, the last training date was just Wednesday night, and today they get installed, 10 of them. Now, I will ask a question, and you get to answer. Are you prepared to meet those requests that we ask of you? Are you prepared to nurture the skills you have learned and use them in service to others, your brothers and sisters in Christ, to support, encourage, build up, and comfort people in all their needs? Now, there are two questions for you, the congregation. We ask you, members of Church of the Palms, to open your hearts to the ministry of these Stephen ministers to pray for them that they may effectively serve as Christ's servant. Are you prepared to meet this request? 
We also ask you to accept their ministry when you need help to allow these individuals to work with you as you face struggles in your life, that you might receive support and help from your Christian brothers and sisters. Will you do so? Now, back to you, New Stephen ministers. Before I ask this question, and last question, I would like to recognize Faye Mercer, who is the leader of Stephen Ministry at Church of the Palms. Please stand, Faye. No, no, stay, stay standing. And I, I would like to ask other Stephen ministers to stand wherever you are seated. We have 11 Stephen ministry leaders in this congregation, which is very good and unusual. And now all those of you who are currently serving as Stephen minister or you are on sabbatical, please stand up. <laughs> we have, not counting those in sabbatical, 37 Stephen ministers here in the congregation in the balcony and here. And we have now 10 more, so you can do the math and I'm very excited and happy. The last question, are you newly trained Stephen ministers prepared to serve as Stephen ministers at Church of the Palms? Yes. Now, you have been installed as Stephen ministry, Stephen ministers class of 2015 after going through all the 50 hours of training and answering all those questions in God's name. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we ask your blessing on these, our sisters and brothers. We have commissioned and installed in your name as Stephen ministers for our church. We thank you for their willingness to enter this service of compassion and one-to-one -one Christian caregiving. Keep them mindful of their own humanity, we pray. Call them to the joy that comes in service to others. Bless us all that we may in turn reach out, equipped with your compassion to share your gospel and your love with people near and far, we pray. Bless Pastor Steve on his sabbatical and those who now sojourn in northern places, we pray. We pray for those who are struggling with illness and grief. We pray also for those who need encouragement and hope. In your mercy, bless each of them, we pray. Now we bring our prayers to you in the name of our Lord Jesus, who taught us to pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Now, as the Stephen ministers go back to their seat, let us remember how much God has blessed us in our everyday life and let us gather our gratitude in the offerings and tithings for the day.
shall we pray. Dear Lord, we are so grateful for the one who claims us as children, who calls us beloved, who invites us to celebrate your presence. With these gifts, we give honor <clears throat> and thanksgiving <clears throat> to our Lord Jesus, and we pray this in the name of the Lord whom we love. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. And now we're going to ask the children to come forward and join Lori. Thanks, Alan. Good morning. I just saw another pink dress. Oh my gosh, so great. You guys call each other this morning? Beautiful, nice. Good morning, good morning. Hi, you almost pink too. Good to see you. So we are continuing our series on Psalm 23. And remember the first verse, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. So we learned that we could have confidence that God would take care of all of our needs. The second verse, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Remember you kids like ran, Gary, to like the green pasture, leads us beside still water. Because we learned that resting in God and drinking water are both essential to life. Today, we're on verse three. Are you ready? He restores my soul. He leads me in the right path for his name's sake. So I thought we should start at the second half of that verse. So here's a little example. Let's say you're following behind this guy, older guy, right? $20 just drops out of his pocket. He doesn't know it. Nobody sees it but you. And you pick up that $20. Here's your first path. You can go down the path where you stick it in your pocket because there's a game that you've been wanting for about $20 and your mom won't let you have it. Or you could give it back to him. What path do you think that God would be leading you down? What do you think, Grace? Yeah, because God always leads us down the right path, the path that is kindness and goodness and love. So that's the path we need to go down. Guess what? Life is a little hard sometimes, and we get a little worn down, and it's hard to always make the right decisions and always go down the right path. That's when the first part of this verse is so great. He restores my soul. Hmm. You know what a soul is? I didn't either. I started thinking about it, and I go, I think our soul is the very essence of who we are. We're all the same on the inside. We're all a child of God, but on the outside, we're kind of like these M&Ms. Now, I'm going to give you some of these M&Ms because they are different sizes. Do you see that? They're different shapes. They're different colors. Hmm. Look around. Do you have different color hair? Do you have different color eyes? Is your skin color different? Do you have freckles? Do you have moles? Look at this. In here, they're all M&Ms, all different sizes, all different shapes. Tell me what's on the inside of them. Go ahead. No, you, you can't. You've got to try it, don't you? Throw that in your mouth and tell me what's on the inside, because I may have tricked you. You don't know. What's on the inside? Chocolate. Chocolate! Did everybody have chocolate? Anyone have anything different? 
they're all the same on the inside. We're all the same on the inside. Our very essence is that we are a child of God. And here's what God does. He restores that in us so that we act like a child of God, and then when we see others, we treat them like they're a child of God. He restores my soul, which gives me that strength to follow him on the right path for his name's sake. Will you pray with me? Gracious God, we thank you for loving us, for leading us, for guiding us, for never leaving us behind. Lord, help us follow. Amen. seated. Before I read the scripture this morning, I'd like to say two things. The first one is, uh, I think we received a sermon from Charlotte, South Carolina this past week. And the sermon had two points. And the first one was, evil has a terrible power when nine people can be killed at a prayer meeting in a church. And the second message was this, the power of love is greater still. The power of love is greater than the power of evil. 
And then on a more personal note, I'd like to say uh, it's been over 12 years since I've been here as a, a pastor in this church. And what gives me joy, real joy, when I come and sit in the pews here from time to time, is that I, I see the strong leadership that is here in this church at this time. And I see the uh, vitality of this congregation as they, uh, as they grow and mature and, and go on in ministry and in mission. And for that, I am most pleased, as well as pleased to be here today. The scripture lesson from the Old Testament this morning is taken from the book of Isaiah. It tells how God appoints the Persian king Cyrus the Great to be his instrument to free the Jews and to bring them home from Babylonian captivity, to get them back home. This amazing scripture. Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have grasped, to subdue nations before him and to strip kings of their robes, and to open doors before him, and the gates shall not be closed. I will go before you and level the mountains. I will break the pieces to pieces the doors of bronze and cut through the bars of iron. I will give you the treasures of darkness and riches hidden in secret places, so that you may know that I, the Lord, the God of Israel, it is I who has called you by name. For the sake of my servant Jacob and Israel my chosen, I call you by my name. I name you, though you do not know me. I am the Lord, and there is no other besides me. There is no other God. I arm you, though you do not know me, so that they may know from the rising of the sun and from the west and the east that there is no one besides me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. I form light and create darkness. I make weal and woe. I, the Lord, do all these things. And then just two verses from uh, the New Testament from the Gospel of Matthew, 43rd through the 46th verses from the fifth chapter, what is part of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, You have heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he makes, he makes the sun to rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. O oh God, bless the words spoken, that they may point to your Son, Jesus Christ, in whom is all honor and glory. Amen. This morning, let me tell you about Christine. The name has been changed in order to uh, protect the innocent. Christine attended one of the small liberal arts Christian colleges in the Midwest. She was attractive. Wholesome was probably a better word to use for her. 
She was more like Doris Day than Ava Gardner, if you're old enough to know that difference. <laughs> Women were proud to be in her sorority. The young men respected her and wished they had more nerve to ask her out for a date. Christine was a good student, and her professors enjoyed her. In short, she was admired as a person of integrity, honor, and charm. But there was only one catch. Christine was a non-believer. In a church-related college, she was not a church person. She wasn't a Christian or a Jew or a Muslim or anything. As many of the young people today, she was a nun. That is N-O-N-E. If you had asked her to check off her religious preference, it, it would have been just none of the above. However, she didn't look down on others who were believers or church people. She regularly attended the required chapel without complaint. There was no sneer in her attitude toward church or Christians. And as far as we knew, she had no tragedy or problem or trouble that had soured her on faith. She just didn't see any need or any relevance for God or for church or for religion. She was just charming Christine. And that's why she presents us all with a sort of problem. She was good without God. She was honorable and ethical without any religion to back her up. And that amazes us because we tend to join faith and morality, goodness and Christianity. We say they should go together. You can't have one without the other, we say. We agree with one of Dostoevsky's uh, characters and who said, if, you, if God leaves, then, then the whole world is in chaos. But Christine puts a lie to that. She pre pre presents us with a problem because she is a good unbeliever. Now, these people may not be everywhere, but there are more of them than we think. In the latest poll, almost one out of four Americans and it's more than that with the young, are nuns, N-O-N-E-S, and they appear to be growing in number. But when I wrestle in my mind with the problem that Christine gives me, I go back to the shocking words of that prophet Isaiah, words that we read this morning. Israel's God says to this pagan Persian king, Cyrus the Great, God says to him, you are my anointed one. You are my Messiah. I have grasped your right hand. I call you by name, even though you don't know me. It's the only passage in scripture where the Messiah, the anointed one, refers to a non-Israelite. Cyrus is God's servant, even though Cyrus is unaware of his being led by God, the God of all nations. God is hand in hand with an unbeliever. What did Cyrus do in God's name? If you know the history, in 538 BC, Cyrus the Great of Persia frees the Jews and the families of those Jews who had been in captivity for 70 years in Babylonia. 
After he defeated the Babylonians, Cyrus issues an edict that they can go back home, oh, to go home. And more than that, he publishes an edict that allows them to rebuild the temple. This is Solomon's temple that had been pillaged and demolished by the Babylonians. Cyrus was their liberator and their savior. He was God's servant without even knowing it. The Lord said to him, I call you by name, even though you don't know me. Back to Christine. Let me say one joyous thing about her and then one very sad one, and about her brothers and sisters too. First, the joy is that God can use and bless people that don't even know him. Jesus said sunshine and rain falls on the just and the unjust, and it falls on the believer and the unbeliever. Timothy Keller, who is a Presbyterian pastor in Manhattan and who, who attracts thousands of young unbelievers and believers there in New York, said this, God gives a measure of wisdom, courage, insight, and goodness to all graciously without regard to merit. He gives good gifts of wisdom and talent and beauty and skill regardless of religious conviction. In fact, he says, non-Christians often exceed Christians in moral practice, wisdom, and skill. Did you hear that? My pastor in Pittsburgh used to call the good unbelievers, he called them the Saints of God Anonymous. Think about it. Surely God ought to be able to influence people for good, even people that deny him. How can we believe that God's arm is somehow shortened so that he is unable or worse, unwilling to bless those who are unbelievers? Years ago, a man wrote a book entitled, Your God is Too Small. And for some of us, our God is itty-bitty. And we can't imagine a God who can reach out beyond people who are believers and church people. It's too limiting for our God. Moreover, we need to say boldly that some of those who register their faith as none are often more principled, more kind, and more socially conscious than some of us in the pews. Perhaps we should hear the words of God through the prophet to Christine. I have blessed you and used you, though you do not know me. Christine, I call you by name, even though you don't know me. So we can rejoice in God's good gifts to people, even those who don't honor him. However, there is a sadness here. There's a sadness also. Christine and those like her don't know that it's God who has blessed them. Perhaps he's using them in some social cause that has his name for it. They just don't recognize who their benefactor is, the one who encourages them at their best, the one who forgives them at their worst, the one who calls them out, the one who loves them. How many of you remember the Lone Ranger on radio? He was also on TV, but never as thrilling. There were those thundering hooves, there was the William Tell Overture. There was the Indian companion Tonto. But most of all, 
There were those thrilling stories of rescue by the masked man. However, the Lone Ranger was a mystery savior. Do you remember that? At the end of every episode, the rescued persons would say, who was that masked man? Nobody knew. It was always the same. There was just that call in the distance, hi-ho, silver, and away. Their benefactor was unknown. And as a little boy, I would think to myself, why don't you people run after him? <laughs> Ask him to take off his mask. <laughs> Ask him to tell you who he really is. But they never did. Their rescuer, their sponsor, remained unknown. Who was that masked man? It's back to Christine again. What if there is a God who loves her and blesses her whom she does not recognize? What if he encourages her best self without her knowing it? That's the sadness. Some there are who have been blessed and never recognize their sponsor, their mentor, their lover, their savior. G.K. Chesterton said once that the, one of the most terrible things about being an atheist is you can't thank anyone. There's nobody to thank except for your genetic structure and your lucky stars. Catherine Mansfield, who, who grew away from religion and faith, once found herself in an alpine meadow, and she longed, she said, to be able to make some grasshoppery sound of praise to someone or to something, and she couldn't. She was unable to honor a god of creation. I think it was George Buttrick, an author and pastor at New York's Madison Avenue Presbyterian Church, who said, the problem of being an unbeliever is that you have nothing to swear by. <laughs> we swear by the highest we know. When people reach their extremes of joy or their depths of sorrow, or when they want to promise their ultimate loyalty to country or to spouse or to whatever, these people can't say, my God, they're left with my goodness or my honor or maybe, oh, Shaw. <laughs> oh, Christine, where are you now? I've lost track. You must have had a successful career in public relations or science or law. I suppose you're married and had two or three children. They were model students, and you have several grandchildren that you spoil. You were likely president of the PTA, and you lent your support and leadership to some agency, some social agency in your community. You probably live in a lovely home in the suburbs and have joined the country club there. You and your husband have traveled the world and are welcome at all the finest social circuits. But still with fondness, I want to ask, have you known some moments of wonder and then asked how this fragile and intricate combination of earth, air, and water could make a place for you and for me and do so by pure random chance? I saw scrawled on the rear window of a car a words by an artist in a painting. It said, this world is an awesome place. Indeed it is. If you found a rock on your lawn, you might think it was formed just by random 
random force. But what if you found an iPhone on your lawn with a hundred apps? Would that not suggest an inventor or a creator? Haven't you gazed the stars from your backyard and then it's those wondrous, wondrously complex animals and birds that, that scurry around and thought, where there's so much creation, there must be a creator. Haven't you on occasion heard a whisper in your ear or a touch on your shoulder that poets and ballads uh, know but can't explain? They call it intuition or inspiration. Have you ever wanted to give thanks to someone for your health or for your intellect or for your joys or for your ability to overcome? Haven't you sought forgiveness that your best friend can't give you even? Or longed for a hope that those you love would go on to a life beyond just extinction and darkness? Have you ever asked why right is right and wrong is wrong and suppose that someone else may be judging us with a truth that's greater than just the laws of the land in which we live and our personal opinions. If you've thought any of these, perhaps God has really been pursuing you all along and you did not know it. But most of all, I wonder if you've seen life and light through Jesus' eyes. Perhaps you've noticed how many universities and colleges all over this country and the world, and hospitals even, have been built in Jesus' name. You surely have read some of the vast literature and some of the poetry which Jesus has inspired and, or sung some of the hymns or some of the anthems that honor our Lord. History itself has divided all time, all time into B.C., before Christ, and A.D., Anno Domini, in the year of our Lord. We call our children Mary and Paul and Jesus, if we're Spanish, and I might add Christine. But we name our dogs Caesar and Nero. Critics of our faith may ridicule Jesus, may ridicule Jesus' followers, sometimes with good reason, but they don't ridicule Jesus and his life and teaching. And church people, church people when they are at their best, they allow us to stick together in love when we are hurt, and bring us into comfort in a community which we can never find alone. It's even more personal than that. Whenever my life is out of focus or negative or out of sorts, I turn to him. Jesus shows us as God is a loving father even to those who don't know him. Jesus welcomes the good and the bad and the ugly. He shows us that God is not so much a judge that convicts us as he is a father who loves us. He promises us a future for those people whom we love. Even if you don't believe in him, he believes in you. As good as Cyrus the Persian was, as a man anointed by God, as a Messiah to free his people, it was Jesus who's the truly anointed one, the true Messiah, who saves the day for all of us. And he did so not with spears and swords and chariots, not even with supreme words of faith and love. He frees us by a life lived and finally a life sacrificed on a cross on our behalf. We say with wonder, it is not that Jesus is like God, but that our God is like Jesus. I hope in these latter days 
that you have acknowledged and surrendered to him. Maybe you already have by now. If so, I can rejoice because Jesus is all the world to me and you're all the world to him. Let me say it again, Christine. You are all the world to him.
Lord, as we leave your house, let us remember what we have done here and what we have prayed here and what we have given here and what we have sung here. May we remember what we have heard here so that the effect of this hour may continue with us for a long time, perhaps even to eternity. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you peace, both now and forevermore. Amen. Amen.